The comedian studies himself. The actor studies other people. Jerry Seinfeld. The unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates. It is a rare gift to venture into the unexplored depths of the self without delusions or fictions, but with an uncorrupted gaze. Nietzsche. Apart from the pulling and hauling stands what I am. Stands amused, complacent, compassionating, idle, unitary. Looks down, is erect, or bends an arm on an impalpable certain rest. Looking with scythe-curred head, curious what will come next, both in and out of the game, and watching and wondering at it. Walt Whitman. Episode 130, Knocking on Heaven's Door. The practice that we will explore in this episode is one that has been described by many teachers over the years. Self-observation, self-inquiry, becoming the witness, self-remembering, meditation, extreme skepticism are examples of some of these efforts. Observation is the most powerful skill we can master if we want to know what is and more importantly, what is not true. The problem is that we think we already do know. We have certainty about so many things. However, the content of our certainty is a very small view of the universe. It hurts to think so small. And more importantly, it hurts to be so small. We must doubt in order to really look. Why look for an answer that we already have? We must change in some radical way in order to see something new. We must become something radically new in order to see this undiscovered world. The Rules Number 1. Calm the body by any means necessary. Use Hoff, hypnosis, mantras, use music, do all the above at the same time. Number 2. Calm the mind by any means necessary. Continue using any tools necessary until a relaxed state of mind and body is reached. Number three, detach. Find some way to detach from your current view of the universe. I used to recite a passage from Ken Wilber's No Boundary where I would state, there is a body, but I am not this body. There are behaviors, but I am not these behaviors. There are thoughts, but they are not mine. There are emotions, I can feel them, but they do not contain me, etc, etc. Be like a different person or entity observing everything in your life. This character can be invented or something you've known. The point is to be able to view yourself and your life separate from yourself. Let me know if you have any trouble with this. Number four, look at something through this new vantage point. Look at anything, but trauma and dilemmas are perfect for this. See the entire scene as this detached observer. Get curious, ask questions, not for resolution, but for understanding. Take it easy. Start by setting aside time and a space every day to do this. It may be helpful to write about this during the duration of the episode. Pay attention to things that present themselves to you during your day that you should look at and write them down. Ultimately, observation should not be segregated to a few minutes a day. 
the more ways you can enter this observer mode and the more time that you can spend in it, the better. Can you write in this mode? Can you interact with people? Don't hesitate to ask for clarification or for helpful examples, but this is your show. Get creative, explore, it's your world. I like to start everyone off with a helpful for first assignment though. Look at thoughts. Where do they come from? How long do they stay? Do feelings arise with them? How are thoughts similar? How are they different? Are some stronger? What is their strength? What are they pulling on? Where do they go? And do they come back? And did you think them? Gentlemen, good luck, gentlemen. Okay. Catching Waves, episode 130, Knocking on Heaven's Door. During this past month, we had spent some time in self-observation of ourselves and our world. And we're just going to get right into it. Uh, does anybody have something they'd like to share with us? Hit it, Nate. I think that um, with this one, my biggest observation, the overarching idea, which I want to jump into the different parts of it, but the biggest broad stroke is that the world that I live in is equal parts out there and my mind frame. And with observation, I noticed how much I can pollute things with my mind frame and kind of make a, a keyhole out of all possibilities where I don't necessarily see everything that's available to me. And usually when I'm really open and I'm not kind of impeding on things, uh, I have a really good time. I know I'm pleased with what I want and I feel like what I want is the same thing that's available to me out of the, you know, limitless options that I have. And uh, one of the biggest things that I noticed that can send me down that path is any lack of sleep, drinking, anything like that, uh, dehydration, mainly just being tired and dehydrated was the biggest ones, but my quality of thoughts were noticeably different than when I was well-rested and, you know, at peak functioning. And when I was in those states, um, my observations were joy, being excited about life, feeling like I had all sorts of possibilities and and was really just um, felt enabled and very grateful for what was, you know, in my life. And it was crazy because I realized because of that, how stark that was. And I think, you know, we always we all know these things on some level. Uh, but because of that and because of this practice and really trying to think about putting myself back from that and observing all things that were there, um, just how often I float into that mode where I'm not where I would actually like to be. And this practice was 
it was very telling about the open loops that I have and my feedback coming back from those and how we all know what we should be doing to have the lives that we want and, you know, living the way we want and capitalizing on our possibilities. And this was, it was very, very telling of, I already know what I need to do most of the time and I'm just not following my own advice and I don't want to live that way. So it was, it was very stark. Like, oh yeah, you need to fix very specific things and your life's great. It'll be like when you're a kid and you're just playing, you're having a good time. So well, I, I'd like to go more into it, but I want to hear how your guys' yeah. processes were with these two. Phil? Actually, if you could go, Chris. Okay. I I started off really great on this episode. Um, probably because I was in a really sad state. Um, and I don't know, something about introspection is always helped with some type of level of energy if everything is just okay everything's pretty nice there's no real problems there's no need to really do witnessing i don't really have any strong need to do it whereas when i started i was really sick and stressed out and i had things to take care of and that was you know there were a lot of examples of things to look at that I didn't care for and it 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 in a way was kind of my ally in looking at stuff you can't avoid looking at um I don't know it was it I don't want to make this more complicated than it really is but it it gave me a reason to look into scary places basically. And so I had a lot of opportunities of looking and being calm. And uh, I started just to notice certain things that I could see the difference between the energy that I was feeling and the thoughts that would come in and out of consciousness at the same time. And they would almost kind of want to latch on to the energy like they were saying, yes, this is the energy. This is the thing that's saying this is true, but it's completely separate from this idea over here. So I'd start to, and usually just looking at a problem like that and seeing this disconnect of there's a story inside my head saying this is absolutely true, this is absolutely right, and this is absolutely wrong was destabilized just from seeing that. Just that, no, this here's the thought. Here's feelings. Here's what's going on outside. But as soon as you start to meddle and take an honest, fresh look now, it's instantly destabilized. And I've I've felt that in the past, too. I have countless examples of that where asking those questions and kind of stepping back from your own life can at least correct problems or at least send you on the way of correcting those problems but um it it adds a new layer of game to your life that you have this tool that it seems like people talk about as if it's some type of novel thing that happens every now and then but i want this to be every day if i have something lurking in the shadows that i don't want to be a part of my life i want to go hunt it you know i want to say open the door come on take me on let's go for it now 
I had I tried to catch myself at most times where you know a negative state would hit me and instead of being so reactive because I think that when it happens it's almost like in your mind it's not a foreign invader it's it's coming along and you're you'll say yes that's true and you just take it and go off to battle whereas investigating this stepping back you actually create this distance between you and your own reaction and instead of grabbing that hammer and going off to do a bunch of you know nailing you're looking at that and you have time to to investigate before you even do it um i noticed that certain negative feelings would just come up and they would just go away and i'm like i would have done something right there i didn't do that what the hell is going on (laughs) um which was cool it was like but even just to stop yourself and say is that true is this forever because there's something in my brain that i it's almost like if that feeling or that thought or whatever that thing i'm latching on to or that thing that's latching on to me it's like i'm afraid that it's everywhere in every win and that it's absolutely true in all circumstances and i'm afraid of that or i want that to be true but nothing's like that nothing is everywhere and for always and the whole truth and nothing but the truth you but it's almost like with thought my brain is acting like that's the case and it's constantly in this war or this kind of trial where it will never get to the truth so i think to go backwards into yourself if that's the metaphor you start to unravel the little patterns that are circling around you that catch you unaware you know and it's it's cathartic it's cleansing to do this and no it's i think the only thing painful about it is that there is some part of you some voice or whatever even just an attachment that wants this this one little pattern to finally reign victorious forever and ever over that other little voice over there but i realized that i've got a lot of those voices and they're not all compatible most of them aren't i i like this i like getting stuff done but when stuff gets done i immediately want to do more stuff so how is it that i can want to close all my loops but i want to go out and explore and open new ones that's interesting um anyway uh phil just for openers um well kind of just piggybacking on what you just last said you know about how can i want to close all these loops because that's healthy but then i want to open up all these other ones and i realize like I do that quite often and that's why like when we had our GTD episode I was so excited because I'm like here's a way to manage that and in a way that it's like you can have everyone has a million open loops so to feel like okay I gotta I gotta close all of them that's ridiculous and that's the same idea 
you know, that, that in and of itself is an analogy for meditation that it's like thoughts. You don't control your thoughts. Um, something I wrote down and I just read it today was because, you know, I'm GTDing, I'm taking notes all the time, but I've noticed that when I was at work or doing something physical, my mind will occupy itself like its own, you know, like the physical act of doing something that is thoughtless brings forth the, um, like the open channel. And I would just be sitting there and I'm in meditation because I'm not, I'm not trying to add anything. I'm just, I'm doing, 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 and you can be sitting there or you can be physically moving. I think, you know, physically moving sometimes really works for me. But the thing that I wrote down and I just read in my phone today was you can't control the storm. You can only control your ship and how you navigate it on in those waters or something to that effect. And like with meditation, you just become aware that the storm is are all these thoughts that are coming at you. And from my perspective, that's outside influence. It's what you think of certain situations and all these things start to compound as we get older. And that's why I think, you know, at our age, meditation becomes really popular um, because, you know, either you're going to therapy or you're doing this. This is therapy for us, as we've mentioned before, as I've mentioned a million times before. But like meditation, becoming aware of like, okay, why am I thinking that? You become your own psychologist or your own therapist. And I think it's extremely healthy to take responsibility of your own thoughts and to, to know that like you don't have to engage in any of them. Hearing from both of you guys where becoming aware of, okay, here's this thought. I don't need to hold that as true. That's just something, that's an old pattern. Or here's this thought. Whoa, there's some quality to that. That most definitely wasn't me. <laughs> you know, because those are the ones that I would get every once in a while that I was excited about. Um, as I've been doing, I've been doing this, a form of this process for about a year now with Headspace. Um, little story. Kristen's boss, at uh, when she was working at Facebook, she did Headspace. And which is an app if no one knows what that is, but it, so she loved it, got on board super early, got a lifetime, um, subscription for 300 bucks. And she was like, worth it. Best thing I ever did. So then she started trying to hook Kristen into it and Kristen did it with her, but 
she was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know about this. And she's like, I know it's good for me. I keep hearing about everyone doing meditation and I should do it. And so she knew I was trying to meditate and kind of getting frustrated here and there. And so she got it for me last Christmas. So I got it, started doing it. I was like, I love this. <laughs> I, I was like, I am. And so I just did it, you know, pretty much every day, you know, and some days I'd skip and I felt, I felt the difference where I was like, fuck this. Like I got to get back on track. And so it was kind of a, uh, a self feeding habit because I noticed a clear difference of when I wasn't doing it and when I was. And again, as I've mentioned to you guys before, um, I was having a lot of noise, a lot of chatter going on. And this was one of my tools that was tremendously helpful. So that became the routine. And, you know, around Christmas time this year, I, um, my subscription was up one day. I just, I was right in the middle of a good, um, a good practice. And so I was like, Oh, bummer. So I just started doing it on my own and it was, it was still good, but not as good. But I went to a meditation group and if you guys have never done that, like Nate and I, we've meditated together. Um, <laughs> Early on, we were terrible at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but still but amazing. S- but still, yeah. But once you get, you know, once you start doing it, doing it in the presence of someone else, there's a higher level of accountability. And then there's also, there's a energy feedback. And so... I went to a group several months ago when we very first moved here and I had been on that like meetup group um, for a while and just randomly it popped up and I'm like, Oh, I completely forgot that I even signed up for this. So I went, there were like five other people including or not including the instructor. She was really nice. And she did a guided meditation. We all meditated. And that was like the first time where I was like, I don't know any of these people. These are strangers. Let's do this. And then I did it. I'm like, whoa, there's a difference. And I think it it all comes down to, are you really focused on meditating? On sitting there, focusing on your breath, and like just trying to keep your, your focus on that. And... It's either that or else it's just the group mentality. I don't know what it was, but it was the be- one of the best uh, sessions that I had. So I was like, oh, you know, I hope this group meets up a lot. Well, they don't. <laughs> so um, we were, you know, doing your topic. So I was still doing Headspace or no, my Headspace had run out. So I was doing it on my own. And then one night there was a, a meetup group or no, there was one morning, there was a meetup group that I was going to, that I was going to go to called shut up and write. And then, um, at the last second, this meetup group popped up and I was like, canceled going, you know, it was, it was that same meditation group. So I was like, I can write anytime I want, but getting together with a group of people to meditate, 
that's going to be a little bit more difficult. So as soon as it popped up, did it again. And again, I was like, this is the best thing. And the group grew like threefold. And so here I am meditating with like 25 other people. And it was an incredible session again. And I'm like, oh, this is really, I'm so glad that this popped up when it did, especially with our topic, you know? Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of things that I could go into about that. And I, I will, but uh, let's kind of share the the space a little bit. I don't want to hog too much of it. Okay. Phil, you mentioned at one point, I think you had text that I had shared something about, I want to say it was Jordan Peterson talking about like a split. (laughs) I mean, it might've been like a split in personalities or what. And then you related that as we each have had a a particular split where we had our own times where we discovered that maybe we weren't alone in our own heads. I don't know. Or we found out we were more than one basically. So, and I, I love the way that you seized on that that link and said and called it a split because for me it definitely was like oh shit i'm not alone in here you know which was confusing to me but it was also that was that was the universe kind of smacking me across the face and said you know uh this is where the journey begins in a lot of ways um did you ever explain what your split was yeah you you were talking about was it involving that edible it it was but there were you know like with everything i think everything is happening for a reason i truly believe that and it happens in conjunction with a certain time of life and certain choices and why things happen i don't know but um you know, like I saw, I remember there was one day, like your, your split, Chris, I saw you change. Like you physically changed, your personality changed uh, around high school. And I was like, okay, so we can change. And it was like a superpower when I saw it. I was like, interesting. And you were still the same, but you were different. And I could tell. And then I remember there was one day, and I think this was after we were, after you had recommended, it was, I mean, really looking back at it now, it was kind of like the, the catalyst for catching waves in general. But Nate and I were still at Yard House, LA Live, and you had recommended um, Jed, and so we started reading that, like Nate and I started reading that. Um, and I got, I would say like halfway, I can't remember how much I read, but there was like one day I was like, ah, I mean, it was like a little too much and a little scary. Cause I, I really felt like I was like, I didn't know books could do this. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's 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 funny and it's ironic because there's a song um, 
by that musician that I recommended to you guys, East Forest. And it has Ramdas looped around in the song. And Ramdas was talking about how the very first time he saw a group of people that were, you know, kind of practicing what he would eventually take on. But his first reluctance was like, this is too much. This is a cult. I He's like, I'm not going to go any further. And that's like in the song. And uh, it's interesting because like reading that book, I was like, this is too heavy right now. Like, I don't mind reading, but I, I, I've been pushing it. Like I can't go. There's a lot. I knew that there was only so far I could go in, um, right away. So anyhow, it was around that time that I knew Nate was reading and he was further along and he kept going, but there was like one day at work, I'm sitting there and I'm talking with Nate and I'm like, that's my brother. But then there's also, that's not my brother. He's changing. And I don't know how else to explain it, but I'm like, there's something changing. And, and, and again, it's like, well, I've seen this before and I don't know how to describe it. And then, you know, I felt like the same thing happened to me around, and I could feel a little bit of that, like while I was reading where I was like, Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And, then I felt like I was just like shoved in, forced in um, around the time, you know, it was probably six months after Elena was born. And again, it's like, it was heavy. And I don't know how much of that is just how I'm wired. And... Um, and I think it is, I think there's a, there's a certain amount of that, that it's just like, I'm sensitive to things and I have to be cautious. And then sometimes when I'm not cautious, it's like, it's overload. Mm -hmm. So that's how it was for me. It was like slamming in, um, into this change. And then it's like, I don't know the there was like a metaphor in the alchemist where he's talking about like the mountain and that it's like it's there and then you learn that it's not but then it's still there or something to that effect and that's how it kind of is where it's like once you get past that threshold you can remember like how you were before and you can connect with that but then something about the process of meditation is also good because then you get away from that to realize like that isn't like necessarily who you have to be and you have changed and you can use that, you know, that version of yourself or that character characterized version of yourself to, um, you know, to its benefit, but then you become aware of all of that character's flaws and you're like, well, I don't have to continue these things. And then you advance, I guess, or, you know, maybe not even advance, but you just start doing things that are, are going to, um, 
serve your calling or whatever it is in life that you're you're going for or not going for you know for that matter i don't know i'm rambling now no 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 you're not rambling you're saying a lot of really interesting and important things i i think it's tough to i mean don't think that nate and i haven't had those moments we have um i guess i shouldn't talk about nate but i i know it myself i've had even after jed reading something and it's like sometimes you just need to take a couple steps in the shallow end and get out maybe tomorrow um or maybe not right now but it does destabilize your solid view of reality and and it it's not always comfortable to say the least um but i think that you can learn that the thing that you're you know kind of picking apart or at least investigating yourself or your world wasn't always that way to begin with you didn't have that view of yourself or the world at at two years old um so there was really nothing to shake up at that point um but you know being 30 plus you have decades of i don't you know mind things that are they're fragile and you have attachments and that is pulling on your heart anytime the world goes this way or that you get one second um so anyway yeah i uh it can be scary No, it's mine. Okay. I'm sorry, Nate. Maybe we should have done this before. What are you drinking? Um, I I had a glass of Chateau Saint Jean Cabernet because that's what we had in the house, and it is very affordable. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys drinking? I'm I'm drinking a. A Chateau LaCroix. <laughs> ah, LaCroix boy. <laughs> LaCroix. Still drinking it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything there, Phil? No. I um, actually, I forgot. And then Sarah's making a roast. And she's like, don't drink all this wine. But I'm going to open it, so drink some of this wine. And I was like, oh, perfect. I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> I forgot that I was supposed to have something, something ready. Yeah, we actually... Um, Kristen, when she went out and got medicine for Hudson, she got beer. And I was like, and I had all intention. I was the one who asked for the beer because <laughs> they, you know, they, I, I knew it was going to be a test tonight. But uh, yeah, it was as soon as we were going into this and I was, I was thinking, I'm like, well, we're talking about like meditation. Maybe, maybe I'll drink the beer after kind of want to be sharp and open for what you guys have to say but um what'd you get uh i think i saw elysium something or other in there yeah good beer yeah if i can jump on the sorry did you no um the split i feel like 
feeling like I've, I've navigated that for myself and I'm a lot of these things that they're so big and in gray, it's not black and white, but looking back to those times, I think it's, it's very similar to what we did with this episode with observation, where I started realizing that my story wasn't the only part of me. And I started walking it back and I, I've always had like a, a pretty good feeling of like, okay, you know, I, I chose to be a fan of this sports team. I was born in this city. I was born in this body to this family, but there's also, and that's amazing. And I'm super lucky. And I, I love the, all of that of my life, but it's also nothing that I chose. So the identification heavily with certain things, I was always open to realize that there's another part of me that's, you know, which is the observer essentially and walking that back and getting to, well, these thoughts are here, but they're not necessarily everything. These emotions are here, but they're not necessarily everything. What are you left with when you really go all the way back? You know, if you're observing something, anything, even your mental chatter or your feelings, if you're observing that, that's not necessarily the, the bedrock of what you are, your observation, which is essentially you get to nothing. It's a, it's a void. It's, it's observing all of this. It's taking all these inputs in. And it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to read that. But when you really start to feel that, to, to grok that, I feel like the story of your life gets a little shooken up and it shakes you up a little bit. And even, even if you really, and I dove in pretty fast and wanted to, I want to figure this out. This seems like, you know, I have, I have questions. I've been seeking something that I don't know what it is, the flightless bird and can't even put a finger on it. But that shift looking back was that. And, um, if you, if you steer really tight into that, I think you do get to a point of like a nihilism where what's the meaning of things is this all is but a stage, you know, very like Shakespeare. And, and then all of a sudden all these platitudes and, you know, almost cliches, they start ringing true and you see it, you know, it's like, Oh my God, like these, I, this was always just shit that I was supposed to read in school. And when it really dings, it's crazy. But I think that finding striking the balance of, it's not that one of them is, you know, right. And the other one's wrong. It's that figuring those things out and finding a balance, just like meditation. I think my early thoughts of meditation, when I started to really feel the benefits of it was, well, I'm going to, I'm going to reach Zen and then I'm never going to be disturbed again. It is going to be great. Everything's just going to be great, but it's There's not, not going to be a, a, a single thought ever again. They're going to stop. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> I'll have no need for other humans or experience. I'm just going to be so Zen. It's going to be great, <laughs> but it's, it's cool because learning these things and trying to strike a balance between stuff is that you really do get superpowers. I still think the greatest superpower is calm. Being calm is the greatest superpower because you're not getting sucked in by your emotions to believe that the thoughts that are floating around are actually true, that they're actually a part of your story. And I think that that attaches it to you, that you think that it's something instead of something that happened to teach you of the possibilities that are here. How would you know what good was without bad, you know, whatever. Or how would you know what bad was without good, vice versa, all that establishing this duality of your your playground that you're playing in we attach that to our story and sulk and complain and do different things, but it's really fun to live life from a perspective of it's all still there, but 
it's a lot more readily available to separate oneself from it. And I feel like that's been the biggest shift that I've felt from my side of it. And I think that I've seen that with you guys too, the conversations that we've had. I think that we had an aptitude for this at a young age, you know, <laughs> hanging out the three of us and being able to not care, you know, and, and really that's the biggest thing is to, to get into a sandbox to play and to talk and, and know that the other people there love you and they're not judging you. And then it, that's one thing, but to have a conversation that we're all vibing on and riffing on, that's another thing. And I'm feeling incredibly lucky for that. I think that, you know, we're all going through different life experiences and we have different perspectives, but we're, we're all trying to figure out very similar things and, and cheers. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. What are, what do you guys feel about, about that, about a shift? About a like Chris, what do you feel about that? I want to hear what you think and then feel what you feel for yourself too. You're talking about just like a shift, a shift for myself in this world. What am I, what do I want? What am I afraid of? Well, to to what Phil, Phil is saying where he noticed that change in you. Do you, what's your perspective on that of your own experience? I guess I've had different moments where I knew there was some type of change going on. And for me, a lot of it being on the inside, so to speak, felt like, I guess I didn't have anybody to look at and say, wow, he's really doing well. He's improving. For me, it was, it was just one extra layer of of commotion in my head even though i was very excited about this process i didn't really know what it was so there was a lot of it it wasn't super happy but it could go from happy to really really dark real quick um reading those types of books were especially when i read jed it had been like 10 years since i had my first kind of split moment where it was the the first time I think you read about this stuff or you, I remember getting a a Zen for dummies or meditation for dummies book and you start hearing all the, the Hindu words and all that stuff. And you think of it as this lofty thing, but when some level of introspection and witnessing of something that was false and seeing it as false, when you see it and it, evaporates before your eyes or that that solidness of this is what i am and suddenly you're like no i can see that's bullshit i was literally shocked that that i could have that magic in my own consciousness i i have never seen that before in my life and it was spooky as as hell um and yet i knew for me even just meditation became I started to even just write in my journals that that meditation that they're preaching out in, out in the real world that's not meditation this is whatever this is and if it's not this is the one that I'm signed up for um I I guess with these books in my own journey if you want to call it that I started to look under the hood for myself and 
it's not easy. You don't have moments like that every day. Um, but when I would read these books, a lot of times, many years after having that, that intuition or what, it was somebody else who had been there was saying, hey, this is what I saw. And it wasn't always exactly what I saw, but it was, I knew by his words or her words that I wasn't full of shit. That there was something to what I was seeing for myself directly. And often you don't really get that from other people. It feels like it's it's still hanging on to a, a belief or something. They hadn't really been there. Or maybe they're just... Anyway. Um, it's hard to stay in that place where it's the most important thing because obviously you still have to fulfill all these other duties and roles and... I don't know the type of person that is just like, hey, I I stepped back from myself and saw myself in consciousness and something's up with this. I'm ditching everything. I'm going to go walk the earth and find it out. I can't do that. Um, and yet I, it's going to be the most important thing in my life to the degree that I'll allow it to be in my life. Um. I'm glad I have two other people on this planet that I could share anything like this with. Um, Cause normally it's, I'm talking to someone and I'm like, yeah, you're cool, but are you so cool that you won't go, Oh, you're nuts. You know, um, <laughs> don't, don't you worry. I have that thought all the time. I'm like, yeah. And it's uh, after that conversation, and- they, 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 they put up a good front, but they're like, Jeez. <laughs> but, and yeah, it's, uh, and at the same time, I think it's, I don't think it's all that crazy. I mean, from my standpoint, um, and I don't mean to go off on some ledge where, you know, this is not Gwyneth Paltrow reading some book and then screaming that, you know, meat is all going to kill us or I don't know. Um, it's it's things that I can see for myself. Maybe not completely, but you can see that's okay. There's a, a there's a loose thread over there. If I just pull that, something will happen. Free will is absolutely bullshit. Most people just kind of walk past that and just it's such a common human thing to just assume. But what is free will? We don't really talk about that. Well, it's this idea that there's nothing limiting me right now that I could do anything I want to. Of course not. That That's bullshit. That's even you yourself have only a finite number of things that you are wired right now to possibly have. You're, for it to be free, you could, I don't know, be able to fly right now, be able to think something you've never thought. It's your, you only have a finite number of things that would actually pop up in this moment right now. Even even having to respond to somebody saying, okay, think your next thought, whatever you want it to be. You still have to respond. You, I don't know. I'm trying to give it. I know. (laughs) I think about weird shit like that all the time. Like we're not able to see above the level that we're at for good mostly for good and bad but do you think an ant in the ant colony thinks that they have free will 
you know, because they can go left or right. And it's like, those are the options that are available to them. I mean, do the blood cells in your body think that they have free will? Maybe. I don't know. Everything's part of a larger system. You know, the, the human the human uh, species is, is kind of an organism when you really look yeah. at it from the right perspective. It's a huge mind fuck when you start going yeah. down these things. Well, and it's so and cool too. <laughs> it's it's awesome too. I mean, there's there's multiple layers even to when you think you've hit bedrock with something with an observation. Just even defining what free will is is not closer to the source of that problem. The source of the problem is that you think you're a self who possesses that. And you you just keep taking another step back. But yeah does the ant believe it's even an ant it has no concept of that most likely or probably the better answer is we have no idea maybe we have just enough illusion of free will to not scare us and most of us think that we have free will so we feel really empowered (laughs) but you still have choice like there's there's still plenty of choice going on don't get me wrong we just like to package free will or package choice as free will we we have this, at least a feeling. I, I think most people have a sense of having a will. Well, obviously, I can choose to do this or not do this, or maybe it might not be completely 100% unlimited, but there is a will, right? Maybe. Do Are you the thing that has it? Or, I mean, I started to notice that the things that would kind of fluctuate throughout my day or the circumstances that would somehow pull out this side of me that was suddenly angry, stressed out, happy, exhausted, angry, all this other stuff. Am am I becoming those things? Or are these ideas like taking, kind of taking possession of me? Right. Am I a self that's being taken over by these things? Or is that another one of my ugly heads you know how can i feel so strongly in this moment and having i don't want to say it's merely a bad thing but having things like just even getting to our age you've been through serious shit people have died you've lost you at this age you're starting to see that oh there's one stage of life that for the most part it's all about gaining improving doing all this and you're like there's a downhill to this fucker and I'm going to lose. And when I've had moments like becoming father, you know, wrestling the kids around and doing that, I remember having these very intense states come over me. And a lot of times five minutes later, 10 minutes later, I could look back on that. And I realized I really wasn't present in the moment. I was just reacting but having a couple minutes to look back, I'm like, what kicked that off? Like, I was a different person. I didn't have total control. I didn't, I didn't choose that the way I would choose, uh, you know, a, a falafel versus a, a pita. Um, something took a hold of me, and I don't believe I'm... I don't believe I made that choice, but I also don't think that I'm exercising enough enough will in that situation. What if I did? What if I decided to start going back between these little programs 
and at least alter them or get rid of them. You know, the ones that I thought were, I mean, I was looking at a piece of myself and going, that's not me, or I don't want it to be me anymore. I think for, for me, it kind of started where it's, it's kind of seeing the bullshit that we do believe in. Um, and realizing that I could do something in my own psychology to make myself and my world better. Like, why wouldn't anybody jump at that? That, and that's part of what my split was, was heavy observation from a completely different perspective than I had had before. Then extreme self-criticism again from from not the original perspective that I was in so it was almost like I just I was able to um, there's a meditation practice where you imagine you in consciousness or just being in consciousness but not in your body. You're separate. You're looking at yourself. And it was that. And it was so strong. That there was absolutely no attachment. And then there was just heavy criticism. Of this character. And all the choices. That he was making. And. In that. There was a split. And it was just like this other perspective had laid down boundaries. And then as I was like shifting back into my original perspective, um, it was hard because there were certain things that were ingrained and you could feel it where it was like, I mean, to, this may sound like uh, pretentious or whatever, but when you go from like, when a creature goes from like being a caterpillar to a butterfly, it's a huge transformation. I can't imagine that that, and it happens in a relatively short time. I can't imagine that that thing is having fun inside its cocoon. It's melting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So is it has, you know, essentially, I mean, I, I wrote it down several times on my phone because I was going through it and I feel like I'm, we're all going through changes, but some of them are really acute and the ones that are acute are the ones that, you know, we, we complain or we whine while we're going through them because it's just too much. And what I observed in something that was set up very early on for me, and I'm seeing it in Elena as well, um, is that how we sleep is, and I, I think I talked to you guys about this. I learned, um, I learned a little bit, and it was amazing. You know, just his entanglement is Kristen learned a lot because Elena was going through it, but um, how we fall to sleep. There are stages that you go through um, 
and these are I don't know like I know the names of them I don't know what but it's like theta alpha beta and gamma I believe I don't know if that's the right order but gamma is the last one and I believe theta is like the first one but as you go through you a normal person will slowly drift through those stages if anybody in people sleepwalk all the time what is happening is that they're going to the last stage a little too quickly and I think because of how I usually go to sleep how Elena goes to sleep I'm sure both of you have this to a certain degree as well I and mean, I've seen both of you sleepwalk so I know like there are times you do it everyone has done it but I feel like I had really intense um, sleepwalking sessions quite often as a kid and looking at Elena I'm like god it's every night that she's slamming slamming into that stage and she's unaware and things aren't the way they were and through meditation I really started thinking about that idea I'm like well what pattern did that set up for me at an early age and it was I became very accustomed to rapid change and being disoriented that almost became my home and so it's almost as if I'm seeking that and I look through different stages of my life and I'm like what made me think for one second that wrestling was going to be a good idea I took no consideration I just was like yeah I'm going to do that and I jumped in and it was intense and it hurt and it, it was like painful and then I did it again you know at a different stage of life with with other things and I'm like I'm constantly doing that but that is that has become home simply because that was an early thing that I was experiencing and I was supposed to experience and I have a theory because like when Elena was born they had to check something in her in her brain they they were keeping an eye on it and it was kind of scary for us but there was a development of like a portion of her um her brain that they were like it's a little bit smaller than the other side and then they're like just the sleep thing i'm like that i don't i have no way of proving that but it just feels like that has to be linked somehow and they're you know certain creative tendencies or whatever that i see here go to and i'm like yeah and how she sleeps or whatever but but anyway it's like you look at you look at something from kind of like a couple steps back and you're able to observe it and then have a little bit more openness to that thought and not be attached to it you know as like this is how it is it's like oh that could be how it is and then you start looking at all these other things that kind of you know may have stemmed from that and you're like well i don't need to do that i don't need to thrust myself into this situation i can when I feel like I'm about to do that, I can now 
step back and say, hmm, just because I had this thought one day doesn't mean I need to be reactive and just jump on it or feel like I have to like judge myself against that. It's like, it's just a thought. It's just something that because of this other thing, it led me to this thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I can step away and say, I can make a completely different decision based off of logic or different variables that I choose and look at it from a completely different perspective. Or you can just choose a different character and say, that person would make that choice. I'm going to make that choice now. Mm-hmm. So it just becomes fascinating, you know, looking at that and like stepping away from your character, stepping away from your thoughts and then getting to become uh, the chooser of what you put your attention on. It's a fun game. And really, it's the only game that's out there. That That's, in fact, what this game must be. It's just yeah. Yeah. getting to attend to this and this and this in a million different, billion different ways. There's, I mean, I, I don't like to state cliches but i i know i've heard it so many times but there's people that believe that the thing looking out of all these eyes is the same damn thing and starting to see why i you know i'm starting to see it so on that note because i made a note while you guys were talking you brought something up that on that exact same idea and i i think i may have talked about it a little bit but um let me just ask a question what makes something living what makes something alive I don't know if I would say if I have this right, but the first thing that came to mind is a, a growth cycle, a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's just an attribute of. It might not necessarily be what makes it living, but that might be something that I could work back from to try to find it. That's a really good question. I, I mean, I find myself trying to come up with a definition that fits all scenarios, but I guess I don't even know. Yeah. all the scenarios um and it's also it's hard i really want to say anything with the consciousness but we don't really understand consciousness the way we understand like a growth cycle we can look at a growth cycle but i don't think that you can stand outside of consciousness to be able to say okay this is this is what it looks like it's this little blue marble that's in everybody's skull you know or anybody's it or at the base of a tree you know when it's a tree i don't know um there's a lot we don't understand uh for all i know the the inert rock on the shore could have consciousness or could have life i don't know um i don't have i don't have one A thought that came to me um, through meditation was the the idea of 
so like going to Nate's answer, like a growth cycle that pertains to the, like the vessel, the container. And that, what makes the container move? So thinking of it like a robot, you have all the parts for the robot. What, when you hit the on button, what makes it come alive? Free will. <laughs> uh, the battery, the juice, yeah. the energy, whatever it is. Yeah. So energy, where does energy come from? My Zen answer is energy is. <laughs> right. So the thing that, as far as I can tell through meditation, energy is consciousness. We are fragments of conscious energy being funneled through vessels. Where is there a very large source of energy? The sun. Yes. How much consciousness have we are aware, just being little fragments channeled through little suits and we are the ants how much consciousness how much awareness would the sun have and what is it what is its container It's bound by the rules and the void of the universe that is it is a burning ball of energy. It's been there as long as we have been alive. So I would assume that it's older, wiser, more powerful. It's powering our entire earth. I don't know where to go with that, but at a very early age, I was, I'd have a nightmare of this thing that was floating in, and I've told you guys about this, that it was floating out in front of me. And in my nightmare, it was terrifying how powerful it was, but it was like a big boulder. In my mind it wasn't the Sun like it wasn't represented in my nightmare as the Sun or that's not what I equated it to but as I get older I'm like what else is that what else would that be this thing that I can just feel I can feel its energy and it's like out there and aware and like 
I don't know what to think of that. Does that thing with all that consciousness and you see and you're like, that's one. That's not even the biggest one. Because still something contains it. Yeah, right. I also think that was something to move along that storyline, um, that idea. Who's to say that we, we, I think sometimes we equate consciousness as if, yes, other things have it. The baboon has it, but look at the baboon, you know, we've done better. We, we've made nukes, things like that. Um, oh, we're we can doing save, so good. <laughs> we, we can save the planet and destroy it the very next day. Um, we're awesome. And we equate this kind of more of our, our thinking with consciousness, which is all kind of like the Descartes thing. You know, I think, therefore I am. Where it's like, no, you you am, and therefore you can think. But you you're, you are first, not the fact that you're thinking. Um, chimps might not have any way to actually have the thinking that we have. But what about the sun? Could it simply be consciousness? And yet, no, it doesn't have to. Of course, we're going to put this shit on the sun. No, unless you can make complex equations and jerk off and build a, build a car and drive it really fast and crash it and kill yourself, then you can't consider yourself you know, a conscious, smart, wise being. The sun's like, I've been at this for 4.7 billion years. You can... <laughs> Yeah. screw you i know my job you have yours you're doing it beautifully <laughs> um you're my entertainment <laughs> and you maybe you idiots. are maybe i'm gonna swallow your planet in about a billion years from now so bye-bye <laughs> um keep worrying about your hairpiece <laughs> ex- i'm thinking that what we always do is that we have all these grand assumptions that we do not check at all and we're gonna put that on the sun in this scenario and the sun's like you need to expand your horizons and i think that's that's what we do i think we've you all have uh, said that before it's like consciousness is really fucking big and you you start to have these moments when you have meditation or you take substances you really get further into this you start to have those scary situations, those spooky moments. And when someone says consciousness is all, and you've had those direct experiences, you're like, wait a minute, I'm in that you, you definitely take a step back and you kind of, you want to tap the brakes like you did, Phil, because it is too much. As soon as you start to step back and you see the edges of the screen, you're like, what, what the hell's going on? Um, where was I going with this? Um, but humans have such a a small view of consciousness. And we, we think that we are this thing and that we have these things and we choose all these things and we do all these things and this is us and all of everything outside of me is not me. And we have a small idea of the truth. Even just the fact that we think 
it's this solid thing that's real um and yet that's the first thing that we're going to do when we encounter something else an idea like this we're going to think that well unless the sun thinks like i do it's not as smart as me that's we you almost have to come to these things like a child you have to unlearn a whole bunch of shit or at least be willing to question it or be able to see yourself as that person is coming up and saying the sun needs to have conceptual thinking in order to be wise in order to be a conscious being um to be able to see yourself saying that and go where did i learn that that's interesting yeah you to be able to step back from yourself and view yourself and what's going on the things that you're saying the things that you're thinking and feeling I think taking those steps back again and again, you start to see again how big consciousness is. Because you, you've produced a lot of content, but it's still like this keyhole way of looking at the entire screen. So everything has to get filtered through this disgusting, cramped lens. Whereas the sun could be just, just fine, perfect. Barely even hears from us. We're right next door. And it's chilling out for 5 billion years. And maybe with its particular consciousness, it is, that's perfect. But it couldn't survive if it if it had ours and could still be the sun. I don't know. I'm babbling now. But I, I think that was something that I read about and I've also come to experience more is that consciousness is we really have it backward and that and i'm taking this from jed's books as well but you hear like psychology and scientists talk about trying to understand consciousness and they're assuming that they're going to find it in a brain how does the brain produce consciousness question comes up does it actually do that seems like everything is within consciousness and not the other way around what i've noticed is as i'm stepping back i start to see the different layers of consciousness which makes me smile phil when you're talking about different wavelengths that were coinciding with different experiences within consciousness. I remember being having those nightmares and having fevers and they would bring on night terrors or sleepwalking. And I started to equate that as being something similar to like a psychedelic state, even before I took anything like that. And after having done that, it, I, I do see that they are similar. I think there's something going on. And as much of, as those moments are scary, I know they're powerful. And I know that there's something that wants me to go back to those places. And it's, I think that level of energy, that type of energy is something that is necessary when it comes to an introspection like this if everything's fine 
you don't need to take care of anything you don't have to solve anything or make a hard decision then introspection becomes kind of difficult but i've noticed handling myself in a certain way knowing what i'm going into and paying attention when it is a difficult situation the difficult situation itself gave me the energy that i needed to kind of force myself out of that old pattern of thinking so i think that it's important that we do stuff like what you're saying phil find uncomfortable things i think i've made the mistake uh, earlier in my life of chasing those things but i also wanted to get them completed it was like i was looking for a successful story that would be forever at the end of one of those battles you know and of course that was never it the only time i really found that was when i kind of the thing i was destroying wasn't outside myself the thing i was destroying was me and that's when instead of getting getting like some trophy on a hilltop and going great now everybody wants to come take this from me i you know i might as well i i've reached the pinnacle this other way of being was more like I was finally throwing the, a rock off my shoulders that I've been carrying for so long. And and somehow I knew that was my path. It wasn't the path of gaining. It was the path of stripping stuff away. Yeah, simplifying is beautiful. Neat. The, uh, one of the things that that you brought up just there, Chris, was and it's one that for some reason it just fascinates me is flipping the paradigm of things. One being consciousness, not being gener. It's an anti. It's a non-material view of things. The scientific material view is that consciousness is an aspect that's generated by the brain, which seems from the way I was raised is, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's good. And then from these kinds of things, trying to understand more and just going off my own intuition, that seems so absurd and backwards to me. And it's really cool when I hear really a lot, you know, people that are a lot smarter than me being open to the idea of, consciousness being a primary and the brain is receiving that that the that everything is a peripheral to consciousness to what we would which which even the word consciousness doesn't possibly get in the wheelhouse of whatever we're not understanding you know not that we're supposed to understand everything i think life is somewhat overwhelming when you try to really get after a lot of it but there's something with that that that's that flip to thinking of the brain as being a receiver just seems fascinating to me and in my own experience when i'm when i'm clear and when i'm creative i do i get those whisperings that a lot of people have talked about and i think that the ancient greeks i think that's what they were talking about when they labeled it the muse and 
it's it's just a different way of living it's it's cool it's amazing yeah i i honestly think that we all remember that like even if you're not consciously aware of this remembrance in any one moment and you you're not um it almost comes upon you as like it just memories you don't have all the time but i think there's something deep in us when we start to go in that direction that's part of the scary part i think you've been there before and it was terrifying or that's an aspect of being there um and we have these little protective mechanisms that are set up to say don't cross this path if you like what you have you you might you just might change everything um But, sorry, lost my train of thought. No. Oh. I forgot to mention I didn't have anything to drink, but I had a chocolate, so. Oh. <laughs> An idea that um, it popped up recently, and um, as you were talking, not this last round, but the round before, Chris, um, and I jotted the note, was you know kind of on the idea that you guys have both mentioned of like well how much of this is the idea of free will and how much of this is programmed you know um i i saw an article um pop up on facebook that i thought was interesting so i kind of i i read it and the idea was that they were scientists were studying microorganisms and what they found is because these things had super short lifespans they could study them relatively quickly and they found that something that affected this microorganism would change how its behavior but not only its behavior but 14 generations later that was in that was embedded in their dna like a memory and they would still react that same way against a certain situation so their conclusion which who knows if it's right or wrong but it's like dna has the ability to hold memory and this backs up something that I found very interesting and it only got more interesting um, after I got my DNA results back as I'm sure you guys both saw in like the the text chain but um, you know before Kristen and I we went to Europe I was like oh okay we're gonna go to Europe that was like the the general idea where we gonna go we kind of bounced back and forth and um we had landed on, well, you know, we're going to go to Germany because we have, you know, Reinars there. We know we have relatives with our same last name. And this guy's claiming that we are like direct distant relatives. So let's go meet him. And that was a, that was a fun journey and interesting. And then, but as we were looking, you know, at all these pictures of Europe every once in a while, I'm like, Oh, is that in Germany? Oh no. And these pictures would pop up and they'd really like call to me that, you know, 
man, I want to go there. And it was like Norway every single time. And it looked, it was a different part of Norway in, in each picture. And I kept hoping that that's where we were. Oh, is this, you know, Oh, you know, and then I would see the picture and it was, Oh no, it's Norway. Yeah. We're not going there. Yeah. Bummer. And, you know, I see this ridiculous cliff. Where is that? It's Tortuga. Oh, it's Norway. <laughs> and then, you know, I get, or dad had his ancestry DNA um, looked at. And he said, he's like, you know, there's a portion that's in Germany, but it's, there's a bigger portion that's in uh, the Scandinavian area. And I'm like, I bet you I know <laughs> specifically where it is. And at the time, his DNA test, um, it didn't say specific areas. It was just, I mean, it was very general areas. Then I got mine back. And very specifically, it says Norway. And within Norway, it has a specific town that they're saying like, yeah, you've got, it's very specific that if you're, your DNA from Norway is from this little town. And I'm like, oh, that just becomes even more fascinating to me because this has been a long like theory and it just keeps getting more and more proven. And then on top of that, um, again, as I mentioned in the text around that same time, looking at pictures of Europe. And then I saw a, a picture of the Isle of Man and I was like, oh God, and it is beautiful, but something very dark inside me was like, oh, the Isle of Man. <laughs> and, <then> I, <laughs> and, and I can't explain it other than that, but it was like uh, I had a, from my perspective before, it was almost like I had a nightmare about that place, but I had never seen the pictures. So I saw this picture and I'm like, that reminds me of a nightmare I had. Beautiful. And and I would think from anybody's perspective that doesn't have that feeling, they'd just be like, no, it's a beautiful place. It's gorgeous. It's very striking. But for me, it was like, yeah, it is beautiful, but dangerous. And that's all I can like equate the, um, the feeling to. And then again, in my ancestry DNA, it says, you know, Scotland, Ireland, um, you know, it's, there's a portion of me, of my DNA that's from that place. And then it, you click on it and it says specifically, <laughs> I love man. <laughs> I'm like, okay, somewhere down the line, one of our ancestors was brutally murdered <laughs> in the Isle of Man. And there's a part of me that still remembers that. But it, you know, again, like as I was working um, in the dairy cooler and I'm in this cold and I'm working and it's almost like meditation, you know, I mean the same thing kind of going back to the idea I mentioned before that I'm like physically doing this and I'm in the freezing cold and I'm working and it just felt like, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but it felt like, was I like, why do I keep ending up in the cold environments working my ass off? And it just dawned on me. I'm like, that's a pattern. But it's like, well, what the hell would set up that pattern? And then I start looking at my ancestry, like my DNA. I'm like, yeah, I'm from DNA that is colder 
than our current environment than it was in um, LA for sure than it was even in the Bay Area. It was colder than that. So I end up in a job that is better suited to what my DNA is calling for. Like that's ridiculous when you really look at it like that and you're like, going back to the idea of free will, do you? Or are you, you know, is that such an ingrained habit and pattern? It's so ingrained, in fact, that it didn't even happen in this lifetime and other past lives that have dictated how this vessel is generated is dictating choices that I make based off of the majority of time I've spent in a specific kind of environment and climate. It's a, it's a mind melter. And I, I was thinking in the same, same vein. And I thought you were going to say it folks. I think we talked about this, but to that point you just made, and it, it was when Chris was uh, talking about something, there was a study as well where, they were there were scientists that were doing a, a double or triple blind and they were sending a signal to a TV and they were having people try to predict. I think it was they were trying to predict what was going to come up on the TV or they were signaling w- when it came up or something like that. And what and they were doing it with uh, part of it was they had electrodes on the person's brain to see when those thought centers went off. And they would get a signal to the brain before they sent it, I think it was, mm-hmm. which was Sounds just, com- yep. it was completely throwing off what you would think that they had an intuition. Was it intuition? I'm trying to remember. What what was the parameter of it? Or were they just saying what it was? It was, it was, it was the idea of an entanglement and then also, um, I believe, synchronicity. But you're right, is that, or no, 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 it was the idea, it's your intellect versus your heart. Your heart actually knows the future. That was like what the, what, and it was based off of, like, we had this conversation. And it was also piggybacking in an entanglement. It was piggybacking off of a conversation that we had on our last wave. But I went to that meditation group and she brought up synchronicity. Then she brought up this premonition that it's like the intellect is gathering things in the moment and trying to make sense of it. The heart already knows what is going to happen a few steps ahead. So they were like, doing this you're reacting if it was like a a card or an image that would bring fear the person would have a fear response before the image was shown that's right and it was it was several seconds before and it was happening again and again and again and again um so that would they were like and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a normal cadence, right? I mean, it wasn't something that they could predict. That they were isolating this, knowing that no, there was there was a thought, a conscious thought before. Right. There was even yeah. the possibility there was, of flipping the card. I wish a, I was a physiologic, on. Sorry. There was a 
physiological reaction to an image that hadn't been shown yet. And it was, there was a certain, because if you study the brain waves, they react in a different way depending on, you know, all of your emotions. So the emotional correspondence was always correct and it was always happening. They, they would do it within like 10, 15 seconds. So they're like, okay, we're going to show you another image. And then the body would react and they're like, and they would show that image. And which it would line up. It brings a whole host of possibilities for that. Cause one, the other people that knew that was there, what effect are they having on that person? What effects do our intentions have on each other? But also what, What's going on with right. the signals are received too. So, so and that's just scratching the surface. There's a million questions like that, that we just gloss over and assume that life is one way, but there's so much spooky action that's happening. They, right there, they, there is some acknowledgement, some measurement of them knowing before it was possible to have a thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm, kind of knee deep going back through Richard Rose right now. And one thing that he didn't get a lot into the specifics. He didn't become a Terrence McKenna or um, Ken Wilber or anything else like that. He stayed pretty just common language, but he talked about the difference between like conceptual thought versus direct knowing, direct seeing. And, and it always seemed to me that this direct way of knowing was always quicker was always before anything after conscious thoughts were always it was always a creation out there that you have to kind of attend to and manipulate and say this is what i think whereas this one it's we might find out that it's actually not instantly it's seconds before because it maybe there is some part of us that always knows exactly what's going to happen but we're just not aware of that self we're tied up into this character and this this thought stuff, which seems to be all. Yeah. Through meditation, another thing that I that started coming to me was, you know, we we've had this conversation about like, you know, you go on the internet and there are algorithms now that that's like a new word for something that has been happening with human beings since the very beginning that you're getting more of what you're interested in and you're calling that in well that happens in real life but i i've been like really fascinated with certain things from my childhood certain patterns i'm looking at that and i'm like yeah i do like why would i go i i remember doing this like i would go in the bathroom i'd i'd make it dark I'd turn off the lights and i'd close myself and i'd close the door and I find myself now, I just did this last night, and it's been, it's starting to become a habit that we have this big walk-in closet. And if I meditate in our room, 
it's a little like I have to focus on my breath. And so I breathe a little bit louder than I normally do. Um, and I know it's kind of like still training wheels because you want to breathe normally. Um, or at least that's what the guided meditations all recommend. But for me, I right now, I like really breathing in, really breathing out and focusing on that sound that helps connect me to my breath, which helps block everything else out. Well, it's a little distracting for a spouse, you know, so I'm like, well, what's an area where I won't be distracted by visuals if my eyes do kind of like flutter open while well, I want to be in the dark? So I go into our closet and I'm like, this is something I I did as a kid. What made me as a very little kid do that? And now it's just like all these parameters happen to line up in such a way that I have that spot again. And I, you know, I used to rock. And I remember mom and dad talking about, oh, yeah, you rock. You would rock until you'd go to sleep. And recently, just like certain times, you know, if I'm meditating before I go to bed, like, I don't want to sit up, but they say if you like lay down, especially at night, you're going to, you're going to fall asleep. You won't be meditating. You'll just go to sleep. And I found that to be true. So I'm like, well, what's my option? So then I, I got on all fours one, one night and I'm like, oh, this is, this works a little bit. It's more comfortable. And I've already found, you know, I've heard that like, the cat and cow position is something I need to do anyway for my back because I heard it a couple years ago. I'm like, okay, so this is serving a couple purposes. And then as I've been meditating, I realize I'm like, if you get into a, like a really deep meditation, the thought popped in my head. It's like, okay, move your head. And I'm like, what? I think you're, you know, it was like instantly the critical mind is just like, well, you're not supposed to move your head. You know, the image of a med person in meditation is them just sitting there. And it was like this voice was just like, well, fuck your ideas of med. You know, what you think it is. Experiment. Move your head. And I moved my head and the visual field, like my eyes are closed. But then it was just like, and all these patterns. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> And I was just like, yeah, shut up, dummy. Like, <laughs> let me drive. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So then last night, I'm like on all fours. And I started moving my head. And then I started rocking. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I did this as a kid. And I'm just like blown away. And then I think back to stories that mom has repeated a million times. Oh, you were there and you were purple. You weren't breathing. And here I am doing Wim Hof. And he's like, focus on your breath. Hold, you know, and then you hold. And I'm like, I came into this earth holding. And I held out for as long as I possibly could. And then she's like, and then you took a big breath and then you just got pink. And I'm like, and I'm hearing her talk about this. And I'm like, 
I came into this earth doing Wim Hof. And all these little things that as I observed back, I'm like, am I really observing back? Or is the idea of this, like, because we, yeah, I mean, just using the metaphor of, oh, you're not in your head, you are consciousness. So you're not behind your eyes. Okay, if we use that as an analogy, if I'm not in my head, am I actually aging? Or am I a constant and reworking my past with things that I've learned in this only one moment? I don't know. I don't know if that's too much. It's not too much. I think that that's that's what a lot of uh, quantum theory and and really deep philosophy and heavy looking points to. It gets to these weird paradoxical things that it's almost impossible for anyone to prove to anyone else outside their own experience. And yet when you look at those things, they I mean, I feel like they always feel so fundamental like remembering you're like yeah like it's beyond anything that i would have to reason and then as soon as i try to explain it in words to someone it all falls to shit <laughs> yeah but you did a really eloquent job of doing that because you're you were going through those steps of what you did to uncover i think what we're all doing is where we're taking a look at the patterns that are unfolding in our life and repeating and it's fascinating because so many of those things have gone by without us noticing. Okay, so time for for us to do a little time travel, and we've I played with this idea um, with you guys through text, but it was a fascinating thing. We had a conversation where we were talking about um, Grandma and Grandpa's old house. And I jumped into that memory. And Which started, set? Huh? Which set of grandparents? Uh, okay. So I started remembering, but in a way with a different belief. So I reworked, going in, I reworked the idea of what a memory is. I said, okay, because we had had that episode on the memory palace. And I'm like, okay. Memory palace is something that holds memories absolutely. So I was like, well, I can make a palace of a place that actually existed, and I can start walking through it. What would happen then? So then I started remembering Grandma and Grandpa's old house, started walking through. And then I started walking through and seeing things in CD's room, and they kept multiplying and the details just started coming back and it was like that's crazy how the hell would that be in there he had a poster which would now nowadays this is kind of funny but which nowadays would be just like a screensaver it was just rocks like river rocks but there were rocks and there were water he had an elvira poster he had a large safety pin 
that I thought was like the coolest thing, which we ended up with. But as I was going through, I remembered the color of their carpet. I remembered that there was, um, they had a, a heater that was underneath their home. So they had grills. Um, and I remembered specifically where they were, what color they were. I remembered the style of light. Like, um, it was like that old fashioned square glass. They had that painting, which in essence was a vision board for where they were going to end up living with mountains in the back and trees in the forest when they were living in Citrus Heights. And I realized I'm like, how cool is that? That they were vision boarding where they were going. They were that specific and dead set. We're going to move to the forest that they painted it or they had it painted or it was like some sort of decal or whatever on their wall in their kitchen. But as I started remembering, I'm like, there's no way in hell. This is my normal way of what a memory is. It's too specific. And the details just kept coming back to life. I'm like, I was going there. Because when you go somewhere and you smell the smells and, you know, things start coming back, you're instantly right back. And, but I was doing that and I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed and I was like, I'm walking through this place. And I'm like, is there no end? I'm looking at like the bowls that we would have peas that grandma would cook and they would turn that weird color and we had mac and cheese and milk. And I'm just like, all this, all these things, all these specific things. Like, how the hell can I hold this? I'm, it was a palace. And I had all this information. And no matter how hard I tried, and even as I'm like speaking, I'm like remembering they had a chalkboard in their kitchen. And it's just like these things start like popping back up. And then as I was doing that, I was like, well, if I can do that with a place, I can do that with a person, what would happen? And I've done it a couple of times. Um, but the amazing thing is that like, when you focus your energy that way, you feel things. (laughs) I'm certain that, yeah you can feel that energy come back. And so it's like, okay, that energy was once here in one form. And it it ties in with like what Lucas was trying to explain in a movie and kind of going to what I had texted both of you. I'm like, those creators made movies but those movies are based on things that they are exploring that's why it like it blew people away because they are adding a new idea they're being philosophers and they're adding something that it goes past just like visual effects or whatever they just use that as a as a way to explain something that was really profound and hadn't been looked at in that way and that's why you know, they're putting that forth and they're like, I I really believe this, but you think, you know, it's like all those ideas that were in star Wars or the matrix, like that's beyond just a person, 
but it was being channeled through a person the right person mm-hmm. that had access to those resources and i'm sure they were like writing a crazy creative wave where they're like i don't know where this is coming from but i'm not going to second guess it john hughes talking about that with ferris bueller's day off he didn't know where he was getting that but he's not going to second guess it. it took him six days to write ferris bueller's day off and i still like i go through that i'm like he was making crazy decisions that don't even like they don't even make sense for his movies think about it like you got the breakfast club you've got pretty and pink blah 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 but the the rules the boundaries the style of ferris bueller he's like i'm gonna have a guy who's looking at the camera he's not actually our our hero character because he has no arc but he's still going to be the most charismatic character and he's going to be driving the audience along for this ride. And you have a character who has, who embodies enlightenment and he's played by this teenager who's going through some tough shit. (laughs) It's just, but anyway, um, I've gotten off track. I, I like how, with what you're saying, it's a lot like I see layers once again. You've got here's the story, but what the story is really doing is telling you something deep. You know, it's archetypal. And that's the old story. That's almost like our DNA versus the up- software updates that we normally do. We've got something that is. you're using the vehicle of this teenager at this point in time and these characters to still to to basically point us back to something that's deep inside us and we can watch an update of that movie where it's a completely different story but it's still the same story underneath i love that yeah and looking at it i i like to think it was weird when you're talking about ferris bueller's day off and being Cameron's the the real growth person give me this idea of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off or in like the the hidden sorry I'm itching my hand um the hidden title of almost like um Doctor Strange Love or how I learned to stop worrying about the nuclear bomb you know it's like or the day that Cameron Fry became enlightened yeah where where Ferris Ferris is a true teacher to him because he doesn't always give him what he wants. He's getting out of Cameron what Cameron needs to face to get to that point. He's challenging him, but he's kind of like his master in some ways, and even if an unknowing one. Yeah. So and I, cool. when I looked at that movie after we all talked about it, and I don't know if I had said it before, but I just got a kick out of the fact that that last scene i kept rewinding it watching it over and over seeing his face seeing him go back into his catatonia after he saw the car and he was only in it for a second and i realized in that one moment where he snaps back out of it tells ferris no i'm like he just killed his teacher that's what he did right there his teacher is telling him at that last moment and I was and I had all these is fucking, proud because he's so awesome. <laughs> and and that's it. He's like he truly did kill him in that moment. He he stepped up there and then his teacher in a very awesome way that story does. It's you're torturing this 
this evolving, uh, this new arc of this protagonist, he has to learn something. He has to ditch the old ways, enter the new. At the last second, he's got his mentor who he's he's been inching along getting closer to. And then now his last test is his mentor, Ferris, saying, I've got this one. I'm going to take it from you. And he says, he, he goes into it for a second. He just goes catatonic. He gives that face. He, I mean, there's a still moment there. And then he says, no. And I'm just, that no was so subtle. And yet for me, it changed. I'm all, that no was, forget, move over, Neo. He says no. And I'm just like, I just felt it. It was so strange. And I love that movies and stories and just thoughts can trigger like this electricity coming up through my body. I love it. Okay. Um, but I knew there was something there. And I love that it's, that was, that's talked about in these types of books. He killed his teacher. He killed his Buddha, at least for this certain pattern that he wanted to, to be done with. He was sick of. And that was a huge movie for us as kids. And we were gravitating towards these old stories, these archetypical, archetypal, however you say it. (laughs) So, I know where I derailed, and I know why now. I was supposed to derail. Because, again, 100% that was in our life early and was not a normal movie for kids to really latch on to and to watch over and over and over again. And thank God we did. And I need to watch that soon. Um, But my thought was going back to the memory palace created this. I didn't create this palace. This palace already actually existed, but back in time, my idea of time had changed because of a thought that came to me. I was like, okay, let's play with those boundaries. I started playing with it. And I'm like, there are no boundaries within this thought, within this idea, because the more I think, and I, I, I'm remembering one detail, one detail adds to three more details. I'm like, I could build this place just by piggybacking off of all these memories. I can make this place occur again. If I can do that with a place, I can do that with a person by remembering them. And how strong can I do that? And I, you know, this is where I derailed last because I was like, the thought, that thought is not original because that's been in popular culture and in the past, but George Lucas depicted it as, you know, like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda showing up in Star Wars after they're gone, they're back because that's part of the force. And you see these things that they're there in a different form. Obviously he's showing it like they're there as like blue ghosts, but that energy is still there. And I've felt it at times when I've focused myself in such a way and like I've had memories of 
of Grandma Twitchell and Grandpa at times. And when I really focus myself, I get I get goosebumps and like tingles in different areas. And I don't say it, but the thought that I think is like, is that you? And then it'll get stronger and like to the point where it like tickles. And I remember grandma always saying, oh, it tickles me. And I'm just like, (laughs) that's so cool that. I like the way she said that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was magical. I can see why somebody would say that. Yeah. It makes sense. But then to feel her come back in that way. And I know, you know, this is being recorded and I might be judged against this by people if it ever, you know, when people listen to it or if people ever listen to it. But I'm being as sincere as I possibly can be is that like I've had moments where I've felt that energy and I'm just like, we've only scratched the surface of what everything is around us and how it all works. And I think it's just, it's important to have conversations like this and it's important for, you know, people to make art or, you know, create stuff not just to like make money or you know you can do it for that i'm sure you know that's a good enough purpose to like support family or whatever i mean that's a huge purpose but whether or not we're aware of it when something transcends just that purpose it adds you know or it can scar as well you know if you if you make something that's like it's highly entertaining it's very well done but it it has the potential to do a lot of harm because it's injecting those kinds of ideas but i think it's just like looking at that and feeling what i've felt in my life at different times and then thinking like wow making something that injects a beautiful idea and also like stokes the flame of belief in people it gives way to a different kind of creativity of like things are i mean they always say it like art or life imitates art and art you know is driving that I just I want to I want to be um, I don't know I'm losing it <laughs> getting kind of tired I think yeah, I know I what you're I know what you're saying though I I hear you yeah I think the uh, the sentiment that I was trying to go for is that when we what we're doing here I feel like is part of that. You know, like us just having these conversations where we're bouncing off and this is this platform that we've done, you know, since we were little kids, like you mentioned, Chris, that it's like, um, we have an aptitude for it. We've done this. We've laid on a blanket on our front yard and our backyard and looked up at the stars since we were little kids and asked questions. 
and it's and I'm sure a lot of families have done that you know and I I think that that's so cool I think it's important to to have those kind of conversations because people listening to that or engaged in that kind of conversation then they start having you know similar conversations that may generate ideas that are beautiful and that add something or you know give someone else an experience that they might not have been open to but now are because they're like oh well you know luke tried to pick up a a lightsaber with his mind some people like if if you did that before star wars like tried to move something with your mind and be like this guy's lost his mind but every kid growing up in the 80s was like oh <laughs> you know spent you spent a little bit of time trying to lift things with your mind because man that would be cool if you could do that and and i think that that's that's awesome because who knows where that idea ends up because maybe there's one day somebody is born with enough belief and they have no shred of doubt that they can move something and then they do and everyone's like oh we can all do that and then it becomes boring it's like yeah everyone's just walking around with floating fidgets <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's it becomes passe or whatever but um yes if you're alluding to the idea that we might not all be fully developed yeah i'll <laughs> i'll lean i'll agree with that one 